Welcome to Street Smart Success, where real estate entrepreneurs share their backgrounds, experience, and lessons learned. This is Roger Becker, your host. Learn with me as I drill down with guests about their paths to success and what they're doing now. So today we have with us a very interesting man that's doing interesting things different than pretty much everybody I've done a podcast with. He does definitely touch real estate, but he's he's in broader alternative assets. And he happens to be in the country of Colombia in Medin right now, where he re- has resided for nearly five years. So interesting guy. He is a partner in Legacy Group, which again is an alternative asset manager with companies in Latin America and Europe. He is Adam Jason. Adam, welcome to Street Smart Success. Hey, Roger. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you and uh, excited to have the conversation. Yes, yeah, so, so am I. And, uh, you know, I, I would say I know enough about broader alternative investing to be dangerous, but even that would be an overstatement. I don't even know enough to be uh, mildly scary. So, uh, which is why I've been excited for this conversation with you. And so, when you guys are investing in alternative assets, and I should have said with, you know, a social environmental sensibility as well. What kind of assets, and I guess within those two continents of Latin America and Europe, are there certain countries where you are making most of the investments? But feel free to, you know, just give a broad brush stroke. Sure. So I am down in Medellin, Colombia, as you mentioned, going into my fifth year here. Most of our efforts on the business side of things are focused down here in in Colombia. Kind of the flagship company for our business is the Green Coffee Company. We've grown that to become the largest coffee producer in all of Colombia. We started it back in 2017. Bought it, brought about $32 million of primarily US-based high net worth investor capital into the country to, to grow that business. And what we really look at you know, for our audience, the business really started on the back of real estate investors. You know, Before going into coffee, we've done some um, short-term rental projects and, and real estate development deals here in, in Colombia. And what we saw in our investor base was a desire for an alternative product to the traditional com- commercial real estate uh, opportunity, uh, something that still had the collateralized backing of, of real estate, but had potentially a little bit more of, a, of an exit potential because they were investing in a, a business and an enterprise versus a, a standalone building that would later trade on on cap rates or relatively low multiples to, to what they invested at. Uh, so we tried to do something a little bit different. We saw a, a big opportunity in the coffee space here in in Colombia, primarily based around the fact that we hadn't seen really for about 40 years any material investment come into the country. So the industry that's critical to the the national infrastructure is the country's national product, but that had been largely ignored by outside capital. And that was so fragmented within the country that we saw very little consolidated investment, investment coming into the industry. We also knew it was a product that could meet those higher return levels uh, for for our investors, and it was frankly something that's a little bit different and exciting to them versus you know another call it 
commercial real estate project in the in the U.S. mainland. So that was really the flagship process, project for us here in Columbia, the Green Coffee Company, and we continue with it uh, to to today. We also invest our own capital at Legacy Group, which is our alternative asset management fund, into different businesses in 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 country here in Colombia that we see have exciting potential. I'm talking to you today from one of our portfolio companies, a company called Polygonis, focused on VFX studio production, education in the programming, uh, all kind of kind of computer literacy that that people need to participate in the movie and film industry, entertainment industry, design and build video games. The business has gone from, for example, to give you kind of the sense of the opportunity, about four four partners who started the business back in 2019 to 100 employees, a couple of million dollars of revenue, and and a really exciting opportunity in, in about three years. So these kind of opportunities that we're finding by being on the ground here in Colombia, you know, we really can give that opportunity to primarily U.S. investors, which which is our client base, but people around the world who are looking for some interesting opportunities in a new market, in new industries with exciting up, upside that they might not otherwise have have the ability to get access to. All right. You know, I should have asked this question at the top and I don't know, I, I lost my uh, senses for a minute, but where, where in the States are you from? Just out of curiosity. Born and raised in Buffalo, New York. Okay. I um, lost a ton of money buying houses in Buffalo a long time ago. So uh-huh. it, uh, so now I'm depressed. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, sorry. I, I really liked Buffalo. We you know, we went there like in May and it, it felt a lot different than it does in like uh, February. But but anyway, that's a Very much. Yeah, that's a digression nobody wants to hear about. Um, <laughs> so uh, the question is this. So the Green Coffee Company, did you, you said 32 million bucks. Did you, did that, was that acquiring the whole company or was that a part of the company? That was built, building the business from scratch. So I got in, I got involved in, I got involved in the business back in 2017. My now business partner at Legacy Group, as the founder of that of that business, and we connected because he was starting the initial capital raise for the business, about five point seven million dollars. I'm an attorney by trade, focused on capital markets, SEC work, practiced at two of the larger law firms in the United States before becoming coming down to Columbia with a client base, really Fortune five hundred companies out of the Midwest, Wall Street banks that were participating in capital raise activities. With our client base at, at Legacy and within our portfolio companies like GCC being primarily U.S. persons, all of the same rules, regulations, laws, everything apply for companies, even though we're operating outside the U.S. because we're going back into the U.S. to find investors. So when I was down here on vacation, we connected. Business partner was starting the business, the green coffee company from from scratch and needed to raise the initial capital for land purchases and infrastructure development. And so I helped him on the legal side of things, as well as the strategy around raising capital uh, from the U.S. from about September of 2017 until January of 2018, when I came down here full time. 
We've done three full funding rounds to, to date, our seed, our Series A, our Series B, and that $32 million in equity is, is the cu- accumulation of those three funding rounds. Uh, we're now kind of springboarding into what we expect to be our, our last kind of pre-exit large equity capital raise, which will be another another $25 million, which will be our Series C, which we're, we're looking to go live with here in probably about the, the same time that this will be released to your audience here, here in a couple of weeks in late August, early September. Uh, Jason, did you meet your partner while you were down there on vacation? How did, how did you meet your partner? And you said you joined in 17. When did he start the company? Yeah, he started uh, GCC back in, in 2017, Legacy Group, two years prior to that. Uh, yeah, we met through mutual connections down here. I was looking at some potential real estate investments. He was active in the space and we just, you know, hit it off and saw kind of overlapping skill sets uh, with with our own kind of divergent talents that, that could build a strong business. Uh, so we really started the business kind of managing uh, ourselves. And now since, you know, for coffee, for example, we've brought in our own operational talent, high level folks here in Colombia at the CEO level, at the head of agronomy level, at the CFO level, who have been in Colombia operating for 25 plus years. Is your partner, is he uh, American? Is he Colombian? American, ex-PWC accountant, but with a specialty in mergers and acquisitions. He left the U.S. when he was 25, worked in Bermuda, Beijing, Hong Kong, found Colombia a few years back, seven years ago, when he was here for his brother's wedding and saw really the same thing I saw in terms of kind of an untapped market that had a lot of potential. And he, like myself, started making a lot of bets here with with his own investment capital, growing businesses, flipping real estate, and then you know going kind of uh, I would say kind of to to the next level of building real lasting businesses that require investor capital and and our timing and, and skill sets and interest and and vision met at the right time. That is super cool. Is there not a faster, more expedient line? to more robust profits just getting into cocaine? (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, not the kind of business we want to be in, but it's a proven business model. That's that's for sure. Um, it has its risk, like like yeah, your, like your life, like your life, for example. But yeah, you know. it's it's not a long term. It's not a long term business that we want to um, be broadly marketing. I would I would say <laughs> so. We'll stick with coffee, which in its own way is is kind of a uh, a drug. I think most people start their day with with coffee. So uh, it's the closest we can get to. Um, <laughs> You're hypothetical. Got it. Okay. (laughs) Well, thanks for bearing with me on that one. I I had to ask because my best friend lives in Cali and he's been down there for uh, many, well, I don't know how many years, probably five-ish. And he just says it is just like everything you see on Narcos. I mean, it it is like literally they don't, this is him saying they don't Uh value human life like we do. And it's effectively a Narcos state. And I know where you are is different because he's told me that as well. But that's a digression. We don't don't need to go down that. What are roughly sales for, um, for the green coffee company? 
can can I chime in on that point because I think it's important. You know, I Go think that the, the um, you know, like I said, uh, I've been here five years. My business partner seven. We have lots of options in the world. We wouldn't be here if if we didn't want to be. Um, I think you know you get good with the bad. You know, I'd say here people probably value family more. You know, I got I got married about a year and a half here ago in Colombia, and I'd say the family ties are even stronger. So, you know, there's there's um, I think it's important for people who are interested in the market, interested in the country, to come and see it firsthand. Watching watching narcos or those kind of things is not a uh, a good a good reference point. Or I'm I'm or I'm really stupid and I just don't know it yet. That's that's also a uh, a possibility. But but we'll see. So sales to date for GCC last year, we, we did 1.3 in revenue. This year we're, we're growing big time. We should get over 15 million in revenue. A lot of the kind of jump is related to building out farms that we've acquired in the last couple of years and the, the trees on those coffee farms coming coming online. So it's usually about a two year time frame from planting to production. So we'll have lots of, of coffee this year. We've also been very active in terms of acquisitions, as I mentioned, and we've, we've gone really at, at April, 2021, we were call it top 10 in terms of size and production. We got to number one about a month ago. And a lot of the farms that we've purchased have had substantial amounts of, of active coffee. So we've grown both, both kind of organically through through planting out and optimizing our existing farms as, as well as through an MA strategy that's proving to be pretty effective. So uh, it's 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 an exciting time. We're really starting to see kind of the growth that we've been building up to and, and investing in over the last couple of years. Hey Street Smart listeners, I'd like to introduce a great partner for you. As you know, insurance is one of the biggest expenses on the PL. That's why I'm recommending Assured Partners. Assured Partners helps you lower risk and therefore can save you tons of money down the road. They insure over 2 million market rate and affordable units and are the sixth largest insurance property broker in the U.S. If you want a roll-your-sleeves-up partner that blankets you with service, give Robert Band, vice president, a call. Robert thinks like a CFO because he was a CFO for many years. Give Robert a call now at 305-467-5909. You'll be glad you did. So M&A, just humor me because I'm just following along here um, as you're articulating. You're, you said you're acquiring land. I get that. And that's an obvious thing. So where, where you grow the product and you're yes. planting trees. And so what are you acquiring? Are you acquiring other M&A? When I hear m and I, I hear acquisition of other companies. Yeah, it's M&A here is, is probably a, has a less sophisticated meaning than it, especially in farming than it would, you know, if, if uh, Microsoft is buying Activision in the, in the U.S., right? When I talk about acquisitions, uh, you know, we're typically buying large land holdings from, from existing family farming operations. So we target basically uh, kind of strategically located farms around our, our operating nexus uh, here outside of Medellin that's usually in the, call it 200 to 400 acre farm size. Uh, sometimes those come in the form of acquiring, you know, the, the equivalent here of an LLC in, in which the business operates. Other times it's it's a straight land deal where we're buying the, the farms and, and the coffee directly from the 
the the families. You know, the the market here is very fragmented. About 95% of all farmers own less than than five acres of land. Uh, So so we work with the the larger kind of operations and and families that are participating in the space here in in Colombia. And really we become known as an acquirer over the uh, over the last couple of years, you know, we've done some great acquisitions. We always pay timely. We've been fortunate in terms of our access to capital from our investor base, but because of that, we get we get great deals. We'll do deals in cash. We'll deal do deals under kind of really opportune seller financing conditions, where it's it's essentially being. Now we're essentially uh, paying down over over time and at, at very low interest rates. Um, so because of our access to capital and kind of our size, we become an offload point for a lot of families that want to get liquidity. Usually their farm in the coffee space is their largest family asset. And we, so what we see typically is... You know, grandpa starts the farm, it grows, that's the family business, it goes one more generation, third, fourth generation, the, the, the family members start to look for tapping into some of the equity that's been built on those farms. They want to live in Miami, they want to live in Europe, they don't want to be coffee farmers. You know, we're there to basically give them the, the exit they need when there's not a lot of other folks buying at the, the scale that we are. I see. And what is the method of distribution? Are you selling to retail or through grocery or both? Or what does that look like? We really have three channels to the business. The first is the bulk sale of of green coffee. For those not familiar, green coffee is basically the pre-roasted coffee. It's got like a greenish, tannish hue to it. You sell it in 70 kilogram bags and we'll offload those in essentially tractor trailer size orders. Those are being sold B2B, both in-country here in Colombia to large exporters and also to large importers on an international basis. So right now, our largest client is Sucafina. Sucafina is the sixth largest buyer of coffee globally, and they'll do you know close to a million pounds of, of green coffee from us that we sell at commodity prices. The other side of the business is selling roasted coffee, both on a B2C channel and a b2b channel so the roasted coffee is basically the the cooked coffee that you would see in the in the dark bean form before it's before it's ground or you know you could sell it in ground and it would still be in that that roasted category that channel you can sell to hotel chains supermarkets uh anywhere where you're seeing like the large aluminum sacks of of coffee that people are are using in their business operations you sell it to law firms or accounting firms or what have you and then of course we're doing some some work and it's a small part and a small focus for us you now the coffee's available on Amazon we're doing some redesign to get on some supermarket shelves there's that piece of the the business as well the third and i think potentially the most exciting honestly kind of superseding the um, what we're doing in the coffee space is using the byproduct from the coffee production to create additional revenue sources. So if you pick a coffee bean off a cherry, it, it leaves like you would a typical cherry, like the fruit that we're all used to eating. You know, you have the, the, the pit inside, which is in this, in this example, the coffee bean, but then you have the skin, you have the juice, you have the pulp, you have everything that surrounds that 
that pit. Same with the coffee bean. You know, the history of the industry is that all that extra stuff, the non-bean, all becomes a waste product. Sometimes it gets used in fertilizer. Sometimes it's used in animal feed. But mostly it's it's discarded and, and not used in a productive manner. What we're doing is turning that waste product into revenue streams, things like distilling the sugars and the, and the water from that into ethanol that can be sold on a B2B basis in a, in a, in a Everclear type format that can be used in energy production, what have you, or that can be distilled further down into a B2C vodka product, for example, or into a, a gin. So we're really going for that kind of circular economy, making sure that everything we take off the tree is used in a productive way from a sustainability standpoint, but also from a, a revenue and, and profitability enhancement standpoint, where everything has the, the opportunity to be to be used and, and used again. That sounds uh, vast and incredibly uh, relevant in terms of timeliness. Thank you. You bet. That's, that's super, super smart and some vertical integration. Taking a, a leap back. Sure. Being very nonlinear is on, I meant to ask you this earlier, in the, in the money that's been raised thus far, has it been all through high net worth or has it been any, any kind of institutional or uh, what, is that, what does the investor base look like? All our money has been high net worth accredited investors who raise under 506C. Average ticket size is probably about 100 to 200K, but we have some investors who have placed 4 million plus with us kind of over the multiple funding rounds. We constructed the product from the beginning to be appealable to the, the high net worth, the credit investor crowd in the, in the U.S. So it's not an investment directly in Colombia. It's an investment into a Delaware holding company that controls the assets in Colombia. So for tax purposes, it's the same dividend capital gain taxes that you would get if you were invested in Apple. Everything is Everything is governed by U.S. law. We did it for an ease of doing business standpoint and an appealability for our investors, but also to make an exit opportunity more likely and more possible. Now we really have kind of two paths to an exit for our investors. It's selling the business, and you can pick your buyer, somebody like uh, Nestle, for example, somebody like Starbucks, for example, private equity would be interested in, in what we're doing, or to kind of leveraging my background and, and having done this for other companies, being putting ourselves in the best possible position to get the company to a U.S. market IPO. A lot easier to do with a Delaware company than with a Columbia-based company that's selling shares into the U.S. So it's it's a attractive from, from that standpoint, I think, as well, in the sense that it's comfortable for our investors. All our banking is done in the U.S., but we also have the U.S. legal system and then the, the greater potential for a easier exit, I think, available by, by structuring things that way. So it's it's really been, I think, an attractive product for for investors, particularly investors who are thinking about wanting collateralized assets, inflation protection, but also some some more meaningful upside than I think that most likely would see if it was a purely commercial real estate portfolio. I mean, the comps and kind of the markets that we see and what we're looking at and what we're discussing with our investors is an, an 8x return on, on capital invested through a, a 2026 
exit. That's our that's our target to meet for our investors. And frankly, I think probably conservative in terms of where we can get to. Though those numbers don't factor in any of the alcohol and byproduct business that we discussed, very little of the roasted coffee that we discussed is really kind of built on what can we do as a commodity business. So as we go go more and more down our path, I think, and we add these additional revenue streams on, you get some brands around what we're doing, the potential really goes through the roof. But you know, we found a sweet spot for, for what our investors like. Where do you need to get in terms of top line or EBITDA? Because uh, you clearly have experience in order to be attractive to an, uh, an, an acquirer or to doing an IPO. Yeah, I'd like to see us get to 100 million in, in revenue, at least. I think that would make it attractive to a potential acquirer, but also on the public markets. And our plan is to be running about 30 to 40% EBITDA margins, which I think is a high enough margin where we can command a, a good multiple. If you back into that 8x return. Those are the kind of numbers that we need to see to, to get there. And I think it's I think it's very doable. You know, we'll do 15 million. Um, it looks like uh, this 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 year. I'm always cautious because we our, our big harvest comes in the fall, and we'll see how everything comes together. But you know that that number will be going up rapidly, especially as we add on these additional revenue streams. So I think 2025, 2026, we should be we should be getting to that. That number, and we have some other things in in the pipe which would drastically increase those numbers in in a in a very expedited way. So um, I, th- I think we can achieve our goals. So you got to one, if I understood you correctly, uh, Adam. You got from one to fifteen mostly by acquisition. Do you of other farms? Do you anticipate just kind of replicating that and, and being kind of that the the path to getting to a hundred? Yeah, where we are now. So we started the business in a region here in Colombia called Salgar. It's about two hours south of Medellin. The harvest for that region of the country for for coffee really comes at the end of Q four and early Q one. That creates a little bit of a weakness in the business in the sense that these large buyers like a Nestle or Starbucks they want coffee all year. Right. So we've grown and grown there. We've gotten to over 5,000 acres in, in the region. But now we really need to double in size, not just for the sake of being big, but for the sake of filling that void in the production cycle. So there's some other regions around the country that we like. Some of them were, were actively diligencing farms right now that have their main harvest in the spring. So the idea was really use Salgar as a test case, build our first nexus there, get to scale, understand the infrastructure that we need. And now, like kind of like a McDonald's franchise, how do we duplicate this into another area now that we know the system? processes, teams we knew we need, what does the market look like? So I think, you know, the five years it took us to get to where we are now can be shortened with our next acquisition cycle, but you have to acquire to grow. You need to have to buy land. You have to put the infrastructure in place. All the infrastructure we build custom, none, none of that is kind of used and, and um, maintained. We, we have, I would say, without bragging that the most sophisticated technology in, in the coffee industry, potentially globally here in, in Colombia. And we'd look to duplicate that in, in new regions that we 
that we go to. But the main goal is smoothing out the the revenue cycle for the business as, as we go forward. That'll make it more attractive to an acquire. You know, Nestle isn't going to want to buy a business where they only have coffee for a, a short period of of the year. So we kind of have to build it to be sold. Understood. And again, just to be overly uh, simplistic and make sure my simple mind can understand, you're buying all, all the farms you're buying are established coffee farms or some of them not even to the point or some of them just raw land or are they all coffee farms? Everything we've bought to date has been a, an existing coffee farm or a farm or land that previously had coffee. Like we just did one acquisition earlier this year. We got a great price. The, the land was in the family for years. Again, like the, the next generation didn't want to do coffee. They took the coffee off the land and we're going to do something else with this. Well, something else with it, and then that never came to fruition. So now we're we're replanting the the coffee. But our objective is always buy to to the extent we can, uh, because we're we need to buy so so much land to kind of hit scale. Buy as much land as we possibly can at, at good prices, where the 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 land comes equipped with coffee that we can immediately plug into our production. You know, it's so interesting. This is a random thought that, that just popped up in my mind. Yeah. I guess that's what makes it random is that in my mind, you know, had you and I met, you know, first met as opposed to now being acquaintances for about 20 minutes. Yeah. I would have thought what you're describing is like the level of fragmentation and kind of the wide open market. Those That's not the term you use, but that was the gist of what I got. I would think that in my mind, like Colombia is known for coffee and that it wouldn't have that degree of a fragmentation. And frankly, what I'm hearing is lack of sophistication. And yet what I'm really hearing you say is that it is pretty wide open. Yeah. It's very wide open, very much fragmented. Lack of sophistication is correct. I mean, we went a couple of months ago to see, I guess, our, at the time, the, the, the largest coffee producer in the country who, who we've since surpassed. But, you know, the, the infrastructure was an OSHA violation to the, to the max. I mean, you, you could barely walk through there without having, you know, coffee particles kind of raining down. Just people have, it's not, it's not a market where you've seen a lot of, a lot of attention and a lot of capital investment at, at scale into, into the industry. You know, it's, it's an industry that for a long time has been supported by the quasi-governmental agencies that participate uh, it's a, it's a, it's a small family business historically, but you have you know five hundred thousand families that are participating in the industry. So that's why everybody knows globally Colombian coffee of a lot of production, but you don't really have anybody doing it in any kind of a sophisticated manner. What what percentage of the world's coffee comes from Colombia? It's about ten percent. Colombia is Colombia is the third largest producer of of coffee globally, behind Brazil and Vietnam. Oh, about 10 okay. 10%. The reason it's the reason it's well known is not because of the uh I would say omnipresence of it, but because of the quality. And most of the coffee coming out of 
Brazil or Vietnam is the Robusta strain of coffee, which is kind of like your Folgers or Maxwell House. It's going to be kind of a lower quality coffee. I think it's like the the milk and sugar coffee, we call it, like that you have to add things to to make it consumable. Uh, And the Arabica, the Arabica, however you want to pronounce it, is is what Colombia is known for. And it's usually a higher, higher quality coffee, drink it alone, that that kind of thing. So it's um, a high quality product an industry that's supported on a national level and a global level, an industry that's not going anywhere. People continue to drink more and more coffee every day. It's just a uh, an opportunity that we're fortunate to see and, and be able to capitalize on. I see. So interesting. I would never have known that. In, when you talk about collateral from the the investor's perspective, what is the collateral? Is it is it the land mostly or you know what what do you mean by that? All the land and infrastructure. So if you looked at our balance sheet today, you know, assets minus liabilities puts us at a, at a equity value, book value, net asset value, however you want to describe it, of about 30 million. Now, if you're in, invested in the business and let's say something crazy happened and we had to, to liquidate, you know, all of those, that, that 30 million of assets would be sold and, and it would go to the investors pro rata with their investment amount. So if somebody owned 10% of the business and the assets got sold for 30 million, they would they would get 3 million of of that. Uh, the valuation that we're raising capital at is is really only about 1.6 times the the net asset value. So there's a nice downside protection. You know, you look at a tech business for example, you could raise money at a 50 million valuation and the only thing there is a guy with a computer and an idea. That's really very little downside. A lot of people ask me, could this go to zero? And I think it's the wrong way of assessing risk in the sense that, you know, if you own a house in, in, uh, you had a bad experience in Buffalo, but the houses didn't go to, the houses didn't go to zero, right? There's always a, a, maybe close, maybe close. Almost at zero when I bought them, which is why. There you go. There you go. (laughs) And then then when I sold them, they got closer to zero. There you go. There you go. But you know, there's always something there kind of at the, at at the end of the day. Um, So that that's, again, Going back to our historical investment base of, of primarily real estate folks, they want to see that that downside protection and the collateral is 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 what would be there for them. And do you guys have leverage? Very little, uh, as I, as I mentioned, uh, in our, our net asset value is is thirty. So we've forty million in equity and, a, and a le- or forty million in assets and, and eleven million in, in debt. Got it. All right. And that should have been obvious to me. And then, uh, and you you had alluded to this at the top, but you said your investor base is largely real estate investors. And why is that? You know, the, the historical, I guess the, the, the profile for the investment is collateralized asset with cash flow potential that's producing a, a product, a commodity. Uh, the commodity basically serves as something similar to an income stream like you'd have from, from rent, but where you have, again, the potential to be bigger than, than a real estate asset itself. You know, if you buy, maybe, maybe you know, it's, it's Phoenix and you can buy something 10 years ago and it's worth four times now, but in most markets, that's a tough thing to do. You know, if you have a business that has all of those downside features that you'd get from real estate, but also a higher upside potential, it's a nice alternative to real estate for, for people comfortable with that, with that model. 
Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Basically, not a lot of downside because there's almost no leverage. You've got hard assets that equate to you know the net asset value and a ton of upside. You know, saying maybe eight times and maybe even higher if things go a certain way. I, yes. I get it. Okay. And and so if you guys then are acquiring other assets, and I think you said with your own capital, and so your own capital, how many folks are you talking about and what, what kind of things are you acquiring and you know, what is what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, in terms of so so through Legacy Group, which are is our asset management fund and the one that, you know, we control the coffee company. We have two of three seats on the board. We've also put myself, my business partner, two point four million dollars of our own money into the, the coffee business. Uh, so substantial investment into that. And then Polygonis, the tech company I mentioned to you at the beginning of our conversation, uh, we seed funded those guys several years ago, small amount, but we'll look to put more. But basically every product we bring to market to our investors, we, we've already put a substantial amount of our own capital into. It's impressive, man. I mean, you're, uh, you've got courage. I mean, you Thank go on you. the date. Yeah, you're welcome. You go to Columbia on vacation, you move there, you know, you acquire a business. It's, it's very impressive. And, and, Thank you know, you. you're, you're welcome. And, uh, you know, there, what's the cliche you're drinking? It's, in this case, it would be drinking your own coffee, but it's another, it's another cliche that I'm, it's <laughs> losing. That's, you know, but you step up and, you know, you're not expecting people to invest in stuff that, you know, a, a lot of people in real estate, they say they're investing. But basically, if you look at their acquisition fee, they're just basically redeploying their ACK fee and they're really not putting in any money uh, above and beyond that for right. a number of reasons. But it's not that it really technically is zero skin in the game in those kind of deals. You guys have skin in the game. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, we basically, both myself, my business partner, we, we essentially liquidated everything to, to do what we're doing now. I spent, you know, two weeks sleeping on a, on a flat air mattress in, in Houston as I was kind of getting rid of all my stuff to move down here. And then we essentially put all of our personal capital into the business, just brought a, a, a great associate into, into legacy group he's a ex ex marine who was one of our larger investors he put 600,000 of his own money into the business and then spent some time down here in Colombia with us and loved it so much that he decided to join us full time so you know the the amount of kind of personal capital from the management standpoint is is escalating uh pretty quickly how, how many assets have you guys uh, invested in and are there any in Europe? We, we don't have anything in Europe now. We had, we had done some real estate things in our in, going into uh, 2021, which we sold off. We had a hotel in, in Portugal uh, within the, within the portfolio, but we've really, we really kind of refocused and said, you know, let's, let's be great at what we're doing in, in coffee. If there's additional opportunities that come up, like the, the, the tech company, for example, where we can, you know, kind of provide some advisory work and some capital, we'll do it. But right now our focus is delivering for, for the investors who have supported us in the, on the coffee side of things, adding new revenue streams, and we'll see what layers we can, we can add on to that. But our, our goal is first to prove ourselves to our investor base. You know, we still have to get to that first exit and, and get to that opportunity. 
And we also have to prove Columbia to our investor base. You know, it's it's a new market for a lot of people. And, and we get to be the, the people who show them that it is a place where they can get get a nice return and, and put their money into something that's interesting, exciting. It's a lifestyle investment for a lot of people. They come down, they see the farms, make a vacation out of it. So we're, we're doing something cool, but, but we have to prove ourselves first. Yeah, I get it. How many companies are you managing at this point? Two. Okay, got it. All right. And you know what? I, one another thing I love about you is you, you, you're an honest guy. Yes. Um, <laughs> Try to be. Try to be. You know, we like the we like the we like the Berkshire Hathaway model of go deep on a couple things, go big on a couple things, not try to know every industry, every market, try to grab a small piece of, of every opportunity. It's more the opposite of that and big pieces of things that we can understand and do a good job with. That's, that's where our focus is. Tell me again the name of the tech company. I should know it because I saw it last night online as I was preparing for this. You said it and I'm like having a senior moment. Tell me the name of it again. Polygonus. Polygonus has how many employees and what kind of revenue is it doing? They have about 96 employees. This year, we're expecting them to do about $6 million in revenue. And in the crazy world of, of tech, only being in business for, I guess, Going into their fourth year, uh, they're already they're already running profits. So it's it's crazy compared to what you see most, you know, Ubers, uh, Airbnbs, all these companies, Amazon that take twenty years to get to profitability. So we're excited about the the road ahead for them. And it's a similar it's a similar theme. You know, you haven't had a the best competitive advantage that we have here is that there is no competition in many industries that are, are coming up or that have been historically ignored. Polygonus gets to consolidate some of the best talent in the country and get a running head start on anybody else who would try and duplicate their efforts in video game creation, VFX, everything that they're, everything that they're doing and incredibly skilled at. You know, six million to a lot of people doesn't sound like a lot, but I, I started a business out of my house and took me about 150 years to get to uh, six million dollars. So I have an appreciation for that. So sure, it, congratulations. Thank you, thank you. And it's bi- it's it's a big headcount for six million. But are they all uh, Colombian citizens, or is it all over the world? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the numbers kind of throw people off. Like, how do you become the number one company in coffee with thirty million dollars? Things just cost less here. Labor's cheaper, land's cheaper, infrastructure's cheaper. It's not a reflection on quality. It's just a reflection on sure living wages. So. You know, all the guys here at, uh, and gals at Polygonus are going to earn more. But for context, you know, the, the, the minimum wage here in Colombia is $250 a month. So you can get top level talent that you're paying four, six, eight times the, the minimum wage that would look, you know, be below the poverty level for somebody in, in, in the U.S. So very low run rates. I mean, we have during our, for coffee, for example, in our prime harvest cycle, we have about 400 people that are helping us to, to collect coffee on the farms. And we run about 175000 a month in, uh, in, in spend. That covers the executive team. That covers all the costs for operating the business. It doesn't cover the expenses or, or the investments if we're buying new farms and things. But our run rate on the business is, is relatively low. And you'd see a similar thing in 
in Polygon. It's also $6 million in revenue is like making $25 million in the U.S. if, if the finances are coming from a, 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 local, a local market. So now the question becomes, how do we open up more and more relationships on an international level where that six goes to 25, but the cost of labor and the cost of running the business are relatively flat. People will make more money, of course, and will bring in more talent and they should because they're the ones building the, the value. But, you know, the cost structure is not what you have if you're going to hire a VFX firm in Los Angeles to do the same work. And I would argue a very similar talent level. You know, something that's really fascinating to me about what you're doing is that you really come from a kind of a big corporate background in terms of coming out of law school and and doing big deals. And a lot of times coming from a background like that, doing stuff really boots on the ground, founding companies and really getting into you know, just that boots on the ground, really getting into the operations don't transfer. They're, they're not a lot, often not transferable skills. So you've clearly bridged that gap. And I guess my question is, what has that Thank been you. like? Yeah, you're welcome. What's that Thank been you. like? And what are the, what have been the surprises and all that? What's it been like having to make that transition? I definitely was, I definitely was ready to make the transition. I was at the point in my law career where you say, do I go partner? Do I go work for a client in house or do I some, do something a little bit more entrepreneurial? I guess one of the skills early on I got, you know, working in that kind of, I guess, high, um, I don't know, high skill or, or, you know, sophisticated worlds. I got very comfortable early on talking to high level individuals, you know, C-suite executives, et cetera. I guess confidence in the sense that, uh, you know, most people are pretty, pretty similar, even though they might hold different titles, different things. So, you know, just, just those kind of learning experiences where it knocked kind of the, um, the mystique around, around kind of where you should be in life and these things early on for me. Uh, and then a lot of it has been, you know, learning through observation, seeing the companies that we took public, for example, in, in uh, the law firm world and how they built and where they came from and the founder mentality, the issues they dealt with, you know, compensating employees, dealing with challenges. And a lot of it has been, a lot of it has been hands-on, you know, it's been five years here in, in Columbia, but we've probably, I'd say, really hit our stride in the last two. A lot of it was learning the culture learning the market, learning how to communicate the opportunity to people who have never been here or never even heard of Columbia, definitely don't know how to spell it correctly or whatever it might be. Uh, and then it's been thinking about you know, what I'm good at, what, what I'm not good at, finding the right team. You know, if it were just myself, my business partner, uh, Cole, who I mentioned, you know, running the operations, we, we would fail. But because we're able to find top level talent here in Columbia, guys, like I said, 25 years in agriculture, uh, heads of agronomy for Starbucks or the CEO for Polygonis, incredibly talented guy. You know, it's really been how do we spot talent and fill these these weaknesses and weaknesses that we've learned exist by kind of being on the ground and 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 active in the market and then every day is a learning experience does this work does this not work does this messaging resonate i know it's it's an ongoing learning experience which i which i which i really like and i think any you know entrepreneur would 
would go through and, and has to go through to, to, to try and do something big. So how is your Spanish? I, I think it's pretty good. My wife bullies me sometimes and her, her family bullies me sometimes. But five years here, I could probably do this interview in, in Spanish with a few hiccups if I had to. <laughs> yeah. Well, did, did you know any Spanish uh, before you moved down there? Muy poquito. <laughs> okay. No Muy poquito. Wow. You know what? Be, uh, one of my best friends moved to Spain <laughs> uh-huh. like five or six, seven years ago. Nice. Uh, and he thought that he would be fluent in a year, which is kind of like what I would think, right? If you're there uh-huh. immersed hundred percent. And he said, and here, not only did he say that was not the case, cause he, and, and he's, <laughs> he's in his sixties and he said, you know, you don't learn in your 60s. You can't, the brain doesn't learn in, in its 60s when, like it does when you're two or three years old or five years old. Right. Uh, and what he said is, he to take it a step further, he said he's never, he goes, I'm never going to be fluent. And as a result of that, he goes, his friends are, are pretty much all expats in terms of really his closer friends. That's a mistake. Of, because of the language barrier. He said he's just never going to get that conversant. This is just one guy's feedback. He's a pretty smart guy. So right. anyway. I, I had to do it for the, I had to do it for business, obviously. And then being with my wife's family, everything's in Spanish. So it would have been pretty boring holidays and, and time together if it didn't just force it. So I don't know, just kind of make a game of it, make mistakes, learn as you go, hear expressions, ask questions. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It took me like two years, I think, to really like be a participant versus, you know, some, we'd, we'd have conversations. And by the time the form, the idea formed in my head, you know, the conversation had already moved on to, to something else. So it's like, all right, I guess I missed, I missed that one. But now sometimes I find myself speaking slower in English because Somebody will ask me a question and my mind will want to respond in Spanish. So now I think I'll speak sometimes to like, oh, this guy's stupid uh, in English because it takes him too long to uh, respond. So I've, 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 I've lost and gained at the, at the, at the same time. I see. Well, this has been a wonderful <laughs> conversation. What you're doing is I have just untold respect for. If oh, somebody, thank you, sir. You are welcome. If somebody, uh, Adam, were to be so inclined to just engage you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing, what would be the best way for them to do that? I think the best way, you know, somebody's interested, for example, your, your group in our Series C funding round for the, for the coffee company that's coming up, you could find me directly adam.j at legacy-group.co. That's .co, not not .com. Or you can visit our website, legacy-group.co. There you'll be able to communicate with our investor relations team and get a hold of us. So whatever's whatever's easiest. Got it. Fantastic. And this is a pro format out eight times your money in the next four years. So it would be worth a conversation with with, that. Adam. That's where we're going. Thank There's you, Roger. Where we're going. You got it. And I'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Appreciate All it. Right. You got Take it. Take care. Yep. Yeah.